Um, hi everybody, it's great to see you. My name is David Foreman and today I'd like to talk to you about the possibility that the Siddur on some level may be a, uh, a commentary on Tanakh. Um, what I'd like to study with you is uh, sections of Tefillah Shabbos um, that I think may be enlightening on two levels. One is, it may well be that these sections are commentaries that help that really some of the earliest commentaries we have, really on the meaning of Tanakh, before Rashi, uh, possibly before Medrash, uh, we have these parts of the Siddur, uh, which may be cluing us in to the meaning of certain passages, well-known passages. Um, I'd like to talk to you today about uh, the possibility that two of maybe the most well-known passages we know, Vayichulu Hashemayim Varetz in Genesis, the Shamru Bnei Yisrael HaShabbos, these basic text that talk to us about Shabbos. Chazal may have had something to say, or the authors of the tefillah may have had something to say about these in ways that open up the Tanakh on the one hand and may well open up their ideas on the meaning of Shabbos uh, as well. Um, so we don't have a lot of time, uh, so I'm going to kind of talk quickly to get through as much of this as I can. Um, the larger piece here is to look at all three tefillah Shabbos, the regular tefillah Shabbos, which is Mariv, Shachris, and um, Mincha. We probably won't get to Mincha today. There's a larger version of this talk on the Aleph Beta website, so you, if you aren't taking notes, you want to review it, you can get it there. Um, but, go ahead. Oh, sure. Plenty of chairs, by the way. <laughs> Not going to be using this. We should. <laughs> Okay. Have a seat. Thank you. Um, so what I want to focus on, uh, at least in Marev and Antakris, is let's first take a look at the structure of prayer. How does it work in the Shemona Esrei? So the Shemona Esrei in Marev and the Shemona Esrei in Shabbos morning, we have two sets of biblical verses that form kind of the crux of the Tila. On Friday night, those verses are the Bayahulu verses from... Genesis chapter 2, and on Shabbos morning, they are the Vesham Rubenei Yisrael Asa Shabbos verses from uh, Exodus chapter 31. Before those verses, we have rabbinic text which introduces those verses. On Friday night, that rabbinic text is Atta On Shabbos morning, that rabbinic text is Yismach Moshe. How do we relate to that rabbinic text? We daven it, right? So if you daven it, you get through it quickly, you sort of attribute it to biblical, to rabbinic poetry or something, and you sort of move on. But if you think about it, these texts, these rabbinic texts are rabbinic introductions to the biblical text, right? They're introducing Vayuchulu to us, they're introducing Vashamru to us, and they're doing it in strange ways. Each of them ends with Vachem Chasu Basarasecha as a bridge into the, uh, the biblical text. But if it were your job to come up with a rabbinic text, if you were a rabbi and, 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 or on the advisory committee for rabbinic texts, and you were trying to create some sort of introduction to say the Shamru, you probably could do better than to come up with something like Yismach Moshe. Yismach Moshe, if you actually bother actually listening to the words, which we sometimes don't do when we daven, but just like stand back and look at the words, seems to be one of the strangest possible introductions to the Shamra that you can possibly imagine. You'll find it about halfway through your source sheets, but just sort of go through it, pretend you've never seen it before, and look what you have in Yismach Moshe. Let's kind of read it through. 
Remember, the goal is to introduce the Shamru, which appears in Exodus 31, the Shamru B'nai Yisrael HaShashavim. So, you know, you could have something very direct that says, you know, the Torah talks about uh, Shabbos and Shmos, and here's what it says, and instead, here's what we hear. It's almost like a Rube Goldberg machine, right? You know those um, little, uh, uh, you know, wooden marble toys that you play with your kids where you drop the marble in and you create this really long maze? That's what Yisrach Moshe is like. Listen to how it goes. Yisrach Moshe Moshe was so happy with his unique chalik in life, with his unique portion. What was his unique portion? His unique portion is also kind of interesting. Thanks so much. It's not that he made the ten plagues happen. It's not even that he taught us the entire Torah at Sinai. What was Moshe's unique portion? According to the text, he He was called an Eben Neman. He was called a trustworthy servant. He had some sort of crown that was placed upon his head. When he stood before you on Mount Sinai. Speaking of standing before you on Mount Sinai, he got two tablets when he was at Sinai. Speaking of the tablets, the Shabbat. One of the things on the tablets, one of those commandments, actually refers to Shabbos. And speaking of Shabbos, here's what it says elsewhere in the Torah, not even in the Ten Commandments about the Sabbath. How's that for an introduction to Vishamru? I mean, if you couldn't imagine a more convoluted introduction to Vishamru, what, what is this even doing here? Why, why are we saying these words? What do they mean to us? I want to suggest to you today that Yismach Moshe and for that matter Atakidashta and Marev on Friday night were actually carefully crafted commentaries on the biblical text that follows them. If you really want to understand what's going on by Yehulu, look at Atakidashta. If you really want to understand what's going on in Bishamru, look at Yismach Moshe. The rabbis were up to something, right? They were looking carefully at the text. They were bothered with certain problems in the biblical text and they were dealing with them I believe, in Yisrach Moshe and Atakidashta. And their answers are stunning, not just in terms of what they tell us about how to solve the textual problems in Bayokulu and Bashamru, respectively, but what they tell us about Shabbos itself. I want to go back to Marit. We'll get back to Yisrach Moshe in a few moments. I want to go back to Marit and begin with Atakidashta as an introduction to Bayokulu. Take a moment. Look at Friday Night Davening. I'll give you 10 seconds to speed, through, speed read it through. It's just at the very beginning of your source sheet. And look at Atakidashta, that very short paragraph, and then read by Yahulu. And I want you to just see how Atakidashta is picking up on themes in Bayahulu. Right? Can you identify two or three aspects of the Bayahulu verses which you can see being mirrored in the introduction in Atakidashta? Give yourself 10 seconds to look at that. Okay, anybody, looking at Atakidashta, what do you see in the Atakidashta verses? Atakidashta Gyamashvi Lishmecha, you made holy the seventh day for your namesake. The purpose, the culmination of all of the creation of heaven and earth, and you blessed it from among the other days, you made it holy from among the other times. What in that little introduction reminds you of the Vayuku verses which come right after this? Okay, 
Good. So I'll get back to you in one second with that. Anything the else? last section of Aikadej is mentioned first in Hatam. Okay. Good. So you, the, the mention just simply that the Kidashtomi Kolazmanin picks up on the idea of what in Mayukulu. Right? That God was in the Kadei Shabbos. If you have it at the very end of Mayukulu, right? By Yikadei Shabto. Similarly, not just the Kidashtomi Kolazmanin, but what else in Asakidashtomi? Right? You also have the Rachtomi Kolayamin. So the idea is, is that God blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. We hear about that in Mayukulu. And we're hearing about that not the Kidashta. Berachto Mikolayamin, Kidashto Mikolazmanim is going to evoke the words by Yivarech Elohim at Yamashri by that God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. Good. Similarly, the point which you made over here, somebody over here on the side, which was that if, even if you look carefully at Tachlit Masesh the notion that Shabbos is somehow. The, 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 the completion or the culmination or the purpose of all of creation of heaven and earth, um, that language also seems to be borrowed from Vayahulu. Can you tell me where? The word Vayahulu itself. In Vayahulu, you will find the verb Vayahulu appearing twice. Vayahulu Ashmai Vayachalalokim, right? Vayahulu means that it was finished. And Chazal, or the authors of the Sila, are picking up on that verb by saying that Tachlet is nothing but a noun form of this verb by right? So it seems like Chazal are clearly picking up, I'm just going to call them Chazal, we don't know quite who the authors were. Chazal were picking up clearly on these themes in Vayuhulu, but they were saying something else about them. They were introducing this, they were commenting on Vayukulu. Having seen what's same, what's the same about the rabbinic introduction and the biblical text that follows, I want you to now focus on what's different about it. What do you see in the rabbinic introduction which you don't see in the biblical text that follows? What are they adding that you wouldn't have known if you just read the biblical text? Yes? Well, they explain the concept of Bracha and Kedusha. They explain the concept of Bracha and Kedusha. One of the strange things about Bracha and Kedusha, if you just look at it, in the original biblical text is you have no idea what it means. And I just want you to understand how strange it is that you have no idea what it means. These words roll off our tongue because we say Kiddush all the time. So we hear them over and over again. But if you were listening to the words for the very first time, you'd be astounded because you wouldn't know what they mean. Imagine you're in a plane and sitting next to Joe on the plane, right? And some guy comes over to you and he's read these words for the very first time and says, so I was reading this and it says that God blessed the seventh day. Could you explain that to me? What does that mean that he blessed it? She says it goes with the moon. Okay, but I'm just reading, I'm a simple guy, I'm reading the text. I just want to know, like, the simplest possible way of understanding it. God bless, like, I bless you, right? So I say, you know, you have nafas for your grandchildren, Baruch Hashem, good, long health, and all that. What does it mean to bless a day? How do you bless a day? A day isn't even anything, it's just a day. What am I going to bless it? You say, oh, well, I guess he made it holy. No, that's the next thing he did, right? <laughs> whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. Because it's just a day. So how do you like make a day holy? But whatever it is, blessing is something else. What do these things even mean? Explain it to me. So Chazal seemed to be saying something about these things. You want to understand what it means that God blessed the Sabbath day? Interesting. As if to say that like there was a competition somehow among all the days of creation, and somehow Shabbos won out, 
And if you ask them, out of all of the days, this one was blessed. The Kidashta Mikol Hazmane, right? That there was something, there was Kedusha, maybe, with all the other days, but, but there's more Kedusha in Sabbath. So how is there any Kedusha with the other days? And what does that mean? But somehow the rabbis are saying, the Kidashta Mikol Hazmane, the Rafta Mikol Ayamin, is a kind of commentary on the ideas of Rafa and Kedusha. But perhaps the greatest act of commentary, the greatest thing that they're saying, which is not in Bayahulu, is something else, right? What else are they saying, which is mind-blowing, which is nowhere in the text of Bayahulu, a rabbinic kiddush, what are they telling us about Shabbos? Well, first of all, that too. Right? What does it mean that you are Makadesh today, according to the sages? You, it's almost as if you reserved the day for yourself. You made the day holy for your name's sake. So lest you think that Shabbos is for us, come along the sages and say, no, no, no. Shabbos is for God, actually. You made holy this day for you. For your name's sake. Which, by the way, is interesting. I just want you to understand that the Torah in general, we often make the mistake of thinking that the Torah is a theological document. The Torah is not really a theological document. It doesn't tell us much about God. Theology is God. You know, the Isaac Alphanon Theological Seminary. I wonder if it's really a theological seminary. Right? How much do you learn about... The Torah really isn't about God. Like, what do you know about God? You're on a need-to-know basis. You know, you've got to go on a problem and figure it out. In the meantime, we have to figure out how to relate to God. But that's not the same thing as figuring out about God. It's figuring out how we're supposed to relate to God. It's a different thing entirely. The Torah, someone stopped and said, what does the Torah tell us about God? I don't know. The Torah doesn't tell us much about God. You know, he could be flummoxed. The exception to that is actually Shabbos, the very first Shabbos, the verses of Ayahuul, because the verses of Ayahuul were not shared with Ottoman Papa or any human being at the time. Ottoman Papa don't even know about Shabbos. God is talking about Shabbos, telling the reader what it's like to be God. Right? Once I rest on this day, I was Mubarak today, I was Mekhanish today, because I'll say, what does that mean? You made the day holy for yourself. This is for you. This is the one part of the Torah. It's what it's like to be God. Not what it's like to be a human. What it's like to be God. God has Shabbos, whatever that means. There's still one more thing that Atakidashka tells us, which is not in Vayakulu. Perhaps the largest thing of all. And try explaining that to Joe. Joe, I just want to tell you something about Shabbos. Shabbos is actually the culmination, the purpose of creation itself. Now, you're, that doesn't raise such an eyebrow for you, right? Because you're used to hearing that. A, you, you say Atatidash all the time. And it's something which, like in a good Musser Shmooz, you can sort of get away with saying that and no one will question you, right? If I really raise my voice, and I say, Shabbos, Shabbos is the purpose of all creation. You walk around and you say, yes, I'm very inspiring. I'm the purpose of all creation. What does that actually mean? You're telling me a day in which nothing happens is the purpose of it all. Like, what does that even mean? It's just a day. How can you say that, right? Where are they coming from? Where, where does Chazal get such an astounding thing to say? If it's just poetry, and we're not supposed to make anything of it, fine. But we're supposed to take Chazal seriously. The Shabbos really is the culmination. Just this day, by the way, not even Shabbos, just Yom Hashvi, listen to their words. 
you made holy the seventh day the seventh day itself is the culmination the purpose the apex, the climax of all of creation where would they even get that from? if they are coming from the words of Ayahulu where do they see this in the words of Ayahulu? so I want to suggest an answer to you I want to suggest let's take a little drink here Possibly, but let's just go with the biblical text itself. What are they seeing in the text? How do they get this? How do you see it just in the text? It seems to me that if you read Bayahulu, there are certain problems in Bayahulu that the rabbis notice. Chazal clearly notice these problems, right? If you look at the Medrash, the Medrash sees these problems. And I think that in Atakidashta, Chazal are responding to these problems too. One of our problems when we read Vayuhulu is that you don't read it in context. You read it as part of Kiddush. So as part of Kiddush, you start with Yom Ashishi, right? Vayuhulu Hashanah and everything seems to make perfect sense. But if you just go back a verse, things stop making sense. Okay? Let's go back one verse in the text and actually read Vayuhulu and try and become aware of what the problems are that the saviors might have been grappling with. Last verse before Vayikulu. The verse which Yamashishi is part of. Let's just set the stage. It's the sixth day. Animals have been created. Man has been created. Man has gotten this blessing, Kururu, right? All of that. All of that's happened, and when all of that's done, and God finishes talking to man, we have the following verse. Pasaglamadalaf in Parak Aleph of Gracious. God saw all that he had made, the Hine Tov Ma'od. And behold, it was very good. Morning and evening, six days. Now in all of the days, God looks and sees that it's good. But this day is different. How is this day different from all the previous days? Listen to it again. The word ma'o didn't appear earlier, right? This day is very good. All the other days are good, but this day is very good. Why is this day very good, and all the previous days are just good? The answer is, it's the end. It's the culmination. How do you know? Listen again to the beginning of the verse. Vayar alokim et kol asher asa. You hear that? Previously, God just looks at what he made on that day. But that's not what God's doing on the sixth day. What's God doing on the sixth day? What's he looking at? He's looking at everything he made. And everything he made and how it all interreacts, that's not just tov, that's tov ma'ov. Why is the sixth day different than all the other days? Because on the sixth day, man was created. That's true, but he's not just referring to man. It's kol asher which means he's finished. Which is the next verse. Vayera vayivokar yomashishi means six days over. Now the next verse. Vayichulu hashamai varas v'chol tzvam. And the heavens, and the earth, and all that was in them was done. That's just a summary of what we just heard, right? When was it done? 
On the sixth day, right? On the sixth day it was done. God looked at everything, saw it was very good, and now the text is just telling you in case you didn't get it. That means it's all done. The heavens, the earth, and everything's in it. It's all finished. That makes the very next verse almost impossible to read. And God finished on the seventh day the work that he made. What problem do you have? I'm lost. I thought he finished that already on the sixth day. So now, just after you have a whole verse that is dedicated to telling me he's done with it all, on the sixth day you come along and tell me, no, actually, you got the chronology a little wrong. He's actually done on the seventh day. It's kind of strange. What is, is he done on the sixth day? Is he done on the seventh day? So Rashi's bothered by this problem. Rashi puts a measure bothered by the problem. I think Chazal were also bothered by the problem. Chazal have an answer that's a little bit different than the measures quoted by Rashi. Yes? Possibly, but the next verse says he finished. It was all done. When was it done? It was done on the sixth day. It takes away all the ambiguity. It's all done. So what did I do on the seventh day? I'm stuck. What could I possibly make on the seventh day? Okay, so you could say that, right? You could say, so when did God finish? It's just like really right at the end. It's like sort of on the sixth day, but at the end of the sixth day, going into the seventh day. You could say that, but then why are I? Well, why do I have a whole puzzle that's telling me, like what? So it's Bible trivia? It's like on the Fidone? You're going to have this, like, what moment did God finish? Like close to midnight, almost? Like going, like why do I even care? What's going on here? So hold on for a second. Let me give you a theory. I'm just talking kind of quickly because I don't have a lot of time, so I apologize for that. I want to suggest to you that the way the rabbis read this text, they revolutionized, I think, the way to read by Yahudu by reading one letter differently than you might have thought. A single letter changes everything. What letter is that? The letter is baked in Bayon. The way you and I read baked in Bayon, what does it mean? Bayakala looking Bayon Ashri, and God finished on the seventh day, the work that he had done. And what question is that thing answering? When? When did he finish? The answer is by God finished on the seventh day. That reading, which seems so intuitive, gets us into all sorts of problems. Because it forces us into a contradiction with the previous verses. Comes along Chazal and says, that can't be the way to read that faith. You have to go for the alternative meaning of faith here. What else can they mean? By or through. That is what the bait means, they say. And now you'll see it gets to exactly what Chazal is saying in Atta Here's how to read the verse. When was everything done? Well, it depends what you mean by everything. By Yehulu HaShamayim Ba'aretz The heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed on the seventh day, on the sixth day. That's why God looked at everything and saw that it was very good. But, comes along the sages, 
and say that that was just the stuff of creation. There's one more thing in creation, and it's not stuff. What is it? The answer is time. Physicists tell us that in creation, it wasn't just the stuff of creation that was made. It wasn't just all the subatomic particles that eventually became the stars and the heavens and the earth and everything like that. No, creation, at the moment of the Big Bang, actually creates something else besides Shamayim Ba'arat and Chotzvah. It creates the environment for creation itself, which is to say time and space. Time and space are creations too. Hence, means that God finished with the advent of the seventh day, He had one more thing to create after creating Shamayim Aras and Koltzva'am. He had a slice of time to create. And that slice of time was the seventh day. And through it, He finished everything. He finished creation itself by bringing a slice of time into the picture. Now in reality, God had created all the days. It's just that you don't see it in the previous days because there's so much stuff that gets created. You get distracted by looking at all the stuff that gets created on the previous days. But comes along a day in which no stuff gets created. And the only thing that gets created is this primal day of creation and suddenly you see it. Right? It's like a flashlight during the day. You don't see it, but at night you see the flashlight. Suddenly you see the day. By bringing in one more primal day of creation, God finishes everything. Why do we do such a thing? Why do we bring into existence one last primal day of creation when he's not going to do anything on that day? The answer comes in the very next words of the puzzle. God rested on that seventh day. Came to rest on that day. In other words, <clears throat> Shabbos really is the Taklit Matzah Shemaivars. This slice in time is actually the purpose of it all. A time to rest. What happens when you're at rest? Modern calculus, which for all I know is taught over here on the board, right, is designed to solve a certain problem. Right? Newton and Lee this in creating the calculus. What problem were they designed to solve? The tragedy is Many of you probably took calculus, including me, and had no idea what the point of it all was. Like, what were you actually trying to do in calculus? What's the problem that calculus is trying to solve? The answer is calculus is trying to solve a problem in motion, a very deep paradox in motion that goes all the way back to the Greeks and before, Zeno's paradoxes of motion. What are Zeno's paradoxes all about? They're about the problem of being in time, right? Here's the problem. I can illustrate it to you without any philosophy. Just a simple analogy. Imagine you're going down the road and you're speeding. You're going 105 miles an hour in a school zone. So a cop pulls you over. Right? You say, officer, what did I do wrong? License and registration, please. Says you were speeding, you're going 105 miles an hour in a school zone. Say, officer, how do you know that? Says, I have it right here, a radar gun. Clock you at 105 miles an hour. Officer, exactly when was I going? 105 miles an hour. Well, it says here on the gun, 6.53 p.m. and 57 seconds. Officer, at that point in time, I wasn't going anywhere. I was motionless. That's just the point in time. I can't have been speeding then. It's just the point in time. 
Well, yeah, it's true, but at that point in time, you were, you were there, and then at this point in time, you were there, and in between, you were going that fast. Well, I see, but, but exactly where? I don't see myself in between. Which point in time? That point in time, I was motionless. That's the problem of Zeno's paradoxes. That's the problem that calculus is trying to solve. The problem is, whenever you're in motion, you aren't. That's the problem. Motion gets in the way of being. You see that, by the way, in a basic emotional way. Why do we like Shabbos so much? You like Shabbos because all week you're running around, right? You're looking at your home, you're doing errands, your phone, you're doing errands, you're running around like a chicken without a head. Come Shabbos, you can put down your phone, you can don't have any errands to worry about, and suddenly, how do you feel? You feel alive. You feel present in a way that you weren't present before. You're being is more significant than it was because you're not running around doing all the time. The tragedy, so to speak, for God in creation is that God, in the act of creating for six days, compromises his sense of being. He's running around doing all this stuff. Comes along the seventh day, and God says, you know where I'm really going to be? I'm going to be there. I'm going to stop doing it. I'm just going to be. I'm going to be at rest. This is where my being really comes into existence. Later on, we'll hear about Shabbos. Shabbos Vayinafash. What does Vayinafash add? We think it means refreshed. God was so refreshed. What did he do? He was so exhausted. He had to be refreshed. Vayinafash literally means what? To take it apart dramatically. It's from the word soul. Vayinafash comes to inhabit his soul. Comes back into being after all of this doing. Right now, he really just is. And why is that so important to God? Think about it. God made the world for us. Well, where is he? Contrary to the Uncle Maishi song, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is really everywhere, it's not actually true. Right? Because the problem is, he's the creator. Which means, this world, with space and time, is created. Which means, he lives somewhere else, right? It's like I give this analogy off in my Monopoly game analogy, right? Monopoly game analogy, you have, you know, these two little hat and little shoe arguing, and little hat is a Parker atheist, and says, you know, uh, do you believe in Parker? It says over here, made by Parker Brothers, and little shoe says, I don't know, I, and little hat says, well, I've been everywhere, Tennessee Avenue, and Park Place, and jail, every week I pass go, I never see Parker. I'm a Parker atheist. So what would you say to Little Shoe? You'd say, look, you're looking for Parker in all the wrong places. Parker doesn't live on the board. He made the board, right? So God doesn't live on the board. He doesn't live in space and time. He lives outside of space and time. But the problem with that is it's kind of lonely. Lonely for us because we don't get to live with God. And it's lonely for God because he doesn't get to live with us. So God says, I have a solution to that problem. I'm going to make me a summer home in space and time. Actually, two summer homes in space and time. But there's a problem, right? Because God's sort of not really a being within space and time. So it's like, okay, at the very edge of space and time, if you imagine space and time as this big circle, and you can get a tangent to that circle, right at that edge, there's going to be a place that I can go, right, where I can be with you in space and in time. In the world of creation, what was that special place for God in space? Ganeda, before the base of Megos, right? Ganeda, this special place. That's his summer home in space. What's his summer home in time? 
shouts, Vayishtok Vayamashim. He comes to rest here. I want to be with you guys. So there's going to be this special day. A day, by the way, that has a kind of timeless quality to it. Kidashta Mikolazman. What does it mean, Kidashta Mikolazman? What does Kedusha mean? Kedusha is the word we use when God, from outside of space and time, comes inside of space and time. Whenever God comes inside of space and time, it changes the world. So, if God shows up at the snag, you've got to take off your shoes. Because it's holy. Who declared it holy? It just was holy. Because God was there. It was holy. You touch the mountain, you die. Who says? Right? God, you're such a nice guy. Why is the moment of revelation when you want to kill people just for touching the mountain? The answer is, it, it's God's embassy. It, it looks like a mountain, right? It, it feels like a mountain, but it's actually a place outside of space and time now. It's God's domicile of danger. If you go outside of space and time without a spacesuit, you die. That's just the way it is. So <clears throat> there's something special about this day. The Kidashto Mikolaznani. God was in all the other days of creation, but not the way he's there on Shabbos. God was doing in other days of creation. When you're doing, you aren't really. So those days have some Kedusha, but they don't have the same Kedusha that Shabbos is. The Shabbos really has God present in it. He's not doing anything. He's just there. A little slice of time. A little slice of timelessness within time. Something strange about the seventh day. After every day, the text says something. When do you know a day is over in creation? What does it say? X. Do you ever notice that with every single day it says X, with the exception of one day? Shabbos. There is no What does that tell you? tells you the day never ended. We think we get it wrong. We think the week started on the first day, we got to the seventh day, the week went back and started again, all the things. That's not the way it works. The seventh day never ended. If I ask you what day is God in now, the answer is the seventh day. It's Shabbos for him. He is inhabiting his Shabbos. That's a divine Shabbos. It's not our Shabbos. That's his Shabbos. A seventh day that never ends. The seven days of creation are their own kind of time, their own tangent to the circle of time. It starts with day one, continues to day six. All of those days fade into the past. But one day remains. It's Shabbos. And that, I believe, is part of what Kazal understood the bracha of Shabbos to be. Why? Think about this strange notion that God blessed a day. How can you possibly bless a day? If you wanted to understand what it meant to bless a day, what it means to bless anything in the context of creation, just simple puppet time. You weren't interested in any fancy, no philosophy, no theories, just the simplest puppet time. I just want to know what it means that God blessed Shabbos. Where would you look? You'd have to look for comps. You'd have to look for comparison texts, which means where else in creation do you ever find the concept of blessing? Do you ever find the concept of blessing outside of God blessing Shabbos? You the do. Fish. Where? The fish. The fish. The animals. The animals. Man. Two out of those three. Two out of those three are right. Man. Which one? Man. 
is black. Who else is black? Fish are black. Interestingly, animals are not black land animals. Look at the text, I kid you not, you will never find it that they are black. Now here's the interesting thing. So one question is why weren't the land animals blessed? Fish got blessed, people got blessed, how come land animals didn't get blessed? Question number one. But here's the interesting thing. What was the blessing for fish? And what was the blessing for man? Kru or vu. But it's not just kru or vu, is it? What was the blessing for man? Kru or vu. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with your progeny. That's what man was told. What were the fish called? Pru or Same three words. But what would the fish's progeny fill? Umilu et Fill the waters. So fascinating. There's this common denominator in all blessing in context of creation. It's the same three words. If you think about it just in, in simple terms, you, you can almost think about it algebraically. The blessing is. Kru urbu imilu x, when x is your habitat. The habitat of fish is the water. So kru urbu imilu the water. The habitat for man is kru urbu imilu x, ta'arex, land. And now you can understand why land animals couldn't have gotten this lesson. Why couldn't God have given this lesson to land animals? Because he already gave it to people. You have to choose one. The blessing is a, to establish dominance within your habitat. In other words, you're the apex predator in your habitat. So you're going to have children that can fill the environment. Which environment lands? So you can only give that to one being. You give that to man, it means the animal is subservient. Hence, the kinshua. You're going to conquer. They're going to be under you. We're going to do with that. They're all going to be under you. Fish, you can do it in the waters. Land animals, you can't do it. Here's a crazy theory. If there's only three brachas in creation, and the first two, we know exactly what they are. Kru or vu, and you lose your environment. And the third one, we know nothing about at all. Is it possible that the third blessing is exactly the same as the first two? The blessing in the context of creation is always the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply and fill your environment. Let's just test it out. In Shabbos, what would Shabbos, what would the day of Shabbos, what would its environment be? Time. Shabbos gets a bracha to fill time, to fill the seven days of creation, and it's true. Because you see in the text, there's no vayihi era, vayihi here when it comes to Shabbos, which means Shabbos never ended. It, it establishes dominance among the other days. The other days fall away into the past. The first day was, the second day was, but not the seventh day. The seventh day is. It's perpetual. It's always there. <coughs> it establishes dominance. It fills its environment. It is where God is perpetually. But here's the crazy thing. If this theory is true, it would suggest that Shabbos doesn't just fill its environment. There's not just a milu. There's a truer boom also. That's crazy. Shabbos has a child. God's Shabbos has a child. By the way, this theory is that the reason why you don't hear all of this with Shabbos, right? You could object to me and say, Foreman is a crazy theory. If it were true, it should have said to Shabbos, 
How come we don't hear it? How come the Torah is silent with Shabbos? What's the answer? What is Shabbos? Who is Shabbos for? God. Human beings were not clued into any of this. Anna Papa don't know about Shabbos. No one knows about Shabbos. You're looking at God's world. What it's like to be God. I wanted to have a summer home in the world. In the world. And therefore the answer of why you don't hear what Bracha is, is because it's none of your business. Right? It's, it's not about you. You need to know the bracha for you. You're in charge of the world. You need to know the bracha for fish. You don't need to know what the bracha was for Shabbos. You're curious? You're interested? You want to know? Okay, do the homework. Do the math. You'll figure it out. You'll see it was the same thing. Could it be that God's Shabbos, this eternal seventh day, has a child? If so, what would be that child? Our Shabbos. Our Shabbos. Welcome to Yismach Moshe. That is the Shabbos morning sila. That, according to the Zedes, is the Shabbos. The birth of the child. And when I say the word birth, I mean the word birth literally. Right? Birth in the sense of that birth happens when there's a being that has something else inside of it, and that which is inside of it is released into an environment beyond their own. That's what birth is. It's exactly how our Shabbos comes to be. Our Shabbos is in time, fully within time, and the seventh day that actually ends and goes around every seven days. But that Shabbos is connected to its mother Shabbos, comes from its mother Shabbos, and the story of the birth happened in Vashamba. How am I doing time wise here? Not much time left. All right, so let me talk to you quickly about some of this in Yisnach Moshe. But the, sa- the sages, the same way they notice problems in Vayuhulu, notice problems in Vishamru. One of the basic problems in Vishamru is placement. What is Vishamru doing where it is? Off in the middle of nowhere, in Teraglam and Allah, you have these verses about Shabbos. But they seem to drop out of nowhere. Where are they? The sages notice something about where they were. You can tell they noticed something about where they were from the verses of Yismach Moshe. Remember at the end of Yisnat Moshe, it says, You know where the sages were coming from? Actually look in your source text to Vishamru, read Vishamru, and read the next verse after Vishamru. What is the next verse after Vishamru in Shmos Lamanot? And it happened when God finished speaking to Moshe Harsinai, by Yitain, God gave him that's what he gave them. Fascinating. The very next verse is the beginning of the Lucha. Enter the rabbis, and they incorporate into Yisnach Moshe the beginning of the Lucha. The rabbis understood something about Shabbos. It was the last thing that God said to Moshe before giving him the Lucha. I don't have enough time to do this with you in detail, but if you ask yourself... What is the revelation narrative in the Torah? We often get it wrong. We think it happened in Tarshat Yitro with the Ten Commandments. So if you look carefully, the revelation narrative is much longer than Yitro. Why? Those in the Pidon ask your kids in the Pidon about this, and they'll tell you, right? After the Ten Commandments, Moshe hears them orally from the bottom of the mountain. God calls him to the top of the mountain, but then tells him to go to the bottom of the mountain to warn everybody not to touch the mountain, because if you touch the mountain, you're outside of space and time and you die. Moshe says, I already told him. God says, tough. Tell them again. They really need to be warned. Mountain is dangerous. It looks like a regular mountain. It's not a regular mountain. It's dangerous. Moshe goes to the bottom of the mountain and tells him that. 
after hearing the Asarus of Hebrews, God then comes, and there's another little revelation narrative at the end of Yitro, where Moshe gets close to the cloud and gets close and starts climbing up the mountain. And then, <coughs> at the end of Yitro, God tells him these laws. And you have all of Parshat's Mishpokim. And at the end of Parshat's Mishpokim, you have another revelation narrative, where Moshe goes a little bit farther up the mountain. And they see God, okay, Yisrael, sitting on a throne with these blue bricks, and it's very strange. But then God says, go a little bit farther up the mountain. And then God says, okay, fine, now enter the apex of the mountain. Enter the cloud. And it says, by Yishkon Kvod Hashem al-Harsinai, that the glory of God was right there on Harsinai, the top in that cloud. <clears throat> Moshe was there for six days. By Moshe by Yom And the seventh day he enters the cloud. Now what does that sort of remind you of? By Yishkon Kvod Hashem, Listen to that verb. Followed by, he's there for six days, and on the seventh day he goes into the cloud. Sounds like Shabbos, and by Yishtom Kvod Hashem, sounds like what word, what that verb translated into a noun, and it becomes Mishkan. Mishkan and Shabbos. And guess what? This is at the end of Ishtakan. What's the next thing that God talks to him about? Turn the page and part of Truma. What's God talking about? Mishkan. And God talks about Mishkan for all of Truman and and half of Kitisa, until you get to the end of Parakram and all of a sudden you change the subject to Shabbos. Mishkan and Shabbos. God was foreshadowing that with Vayishkon Kod Hashem Har Sinai. And then he calls him on the seventh day. What was God saying? Mishkan and Shabbos. The last things I want to tell you about at Sinai were Mishkan and Shabbos. Why? Yismach Moshe v'mat Where was Moshe when he was on Sinai? He was in a place beyond space and in a place beyond time. Ever wonder how he managed to not eat for 40 days and 40 nights and wasn't even hungry? Like, and it wasn't even such a miracle. How did that work? 40 days and 40 nights without eating. Why for him was it easy? Because where was he? He was outside of time. For him, it's just an instant. It's timeless. For everyone down below, it's 40 days and 40 nights. For everyone down below, you're late. Moshe comes down. He's a minute late. They're all worried. It's been so long. Couldn't seem so long for Moshe. That word for late, it's a funny word. Right after Bashamra. Boshesh Moshe Lavedet Minahar. Very strange word. Boshesh. Take away the vowels. What does it spell? Boshesh. The people made a mistake about Moshe. They thought he was in six. But where was he really? He was in seven. He was in God's Shabbos. He was in this world beyond space and time, and he was loving it. He was actually communing with God directly in God's native place. Yismach Moshe He was thrilled to be there. Thrilled with his personal chalik in the world. What was his personal chalik in the world? The Ebed Neman Where in the Torah, for all of your Fidon kids, you can ask them for the ones who did the Midbar, does it say that Moshe was an Ebed Neman? What does it say in Baalotcha? Miriam and, and Miriam and Aaron complain about Moshe. They say, we are Nabiim just the way that Moshe is Nabi. How come Moshe acts so differently? God comes down and says, Moshe is different. Your, your prophecy is the Mara Bakido with tricks and with, 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 with riddles. Lokain Azi Moshe. Not my servant Moshe. The whole baby. In all of my house. Ne'eman. He is the Ebenemma. What was his house? 
What was God's house? Sina, God's place. He can hang around here. I can speak to him directly. Without any riddles. We have a direct connection. And Moshe was loving it. He had a down on Here he was, communing with God. He had this crown. What was the crown when he came down from Sinai? He was changed from that experience of communing with God. What did he have to put on his face? A mask. There was evidence that he was there, communing with God. When he was there on top of Sinai. But as he came down, he came down with two rupas. And what was written upon them? Shabbos. I only have a moment left with you, but in that final moment, let me just talk to you about the Lucha. Moshe had the most ethereal experience in the world. God was about to tell him that you think this experience is something that only you can have because you're the only one who can put on a spacesuit and survive the encounter with me. It's not true. Everyone can have this experience through this material thing that I'm going to give you, the most material thing in the world, stone. Because written on that stone, the Chatubah, Written on that stone was the possibility of recreating that experience. The child is going to be born. Right? A Shabbos that emerges out of God's Shabbos. It was right there, written on the Ten Commandments. You read the Ten Commandments, do you think the Shabbos is just one of the other commands? It's not the way Chazal is. Chatub and Shabbat says the whole Ten Commandments is really about Shabbos. Think about it. Shabbos is the last of the four commands that relate that have to do with the relationship of God and man. They all, everything before that is just leading up to Shabbos. What's the first command? I am the Lord your God. The first thing you need to know if you're to experience my Shabbos is who gives you rest? I give you rest. Who am I? I'm the God who took you out of the house of slaves. Slaves work and work and work and they never rest. I was the first one to grant you rest. Understand that. That's the first predicate for entering Shabbos. You want to hang out with me in my world? You want to come into my world and spend time with me? You need to understand your rest comes from me. The second thing you need to understand is if you have some gratitude for your rest coming from me, then you shouldn't just betray me by worshiping other gods. And the next thing you should understand is that you should have some respect for me and you shouldn't take my name in vain. And if you do that, you have a little bit of respect for me. You don't betray me. You understand your rest comes from you. Then when you rest, you'll uh, realize something amazing. Shabbat Yom HaShabbat with Kasha. You can actually make holy something in your time. I made holy, God said, something in my time. The seventh day, God's seventh day, you can make holy that day. And you know how you're going to do it? Same way I did. By not doing anything. That's what I did. I made a day and I didn't do anything. You don't do anything. You can see it's going, to make, it's going to make something. It's going to actually bring Kedusha in the world. You're going to make this day special. And it's a place that you and I can commune. The last two things God said is that Gan Eden and God Shabbos weren't the last word for God's summer home on earth. You could make that a summer home. God had proven that guarded his summer home, but God says you can't go back to that summer home, Gan Eden. But if you ever want to make one for me, I'll lend you my proven. And that becomes the Mishnah. God's summer home in space. And there's a summer home in time. It's Shabbos that we can make. The Mishnah in space we make through Malachi. How do we make the Mishnah in time? By stopping Malachi. Sometimes you build with Malachi. Sometimes you build by stopping Malachi. The way you build in time is by stopping Malachi. 
Both of these, though, are places for God in our world, places for God in time, places for God in space, places where we can emulate what Moshe himself experienced at Sinai. Thank you very much.